General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Today's episode will be focusing on hobby techniques, and joining me tonight is Brett. We're going to talk through a little bit about his aircraft, his air forces, and the things that he's learned moving into the hobby techniques for Blood Red Skies. Because what you have to admit is they're going to be a little bit different from what you're used to. If you're a 40K player, maybe even if you're a bolt action player, the scale of the models is different. The techniques you might use are a little different, but there's probably some things that'll stand you in good stead if you bring those techniques over. So Brett, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Awesome. Good Good to talk with you again. And I know we had a lot of fun this last weekend. Uh, so thanks for hosting a chance for us all to play Blood Red Skies, uh, spend a lot of time eating pizza, drinking beer and uh, shooting down each other's airplanes. I hope you had as much fun as I did. That was a blast. I loved it. Well, I also really appreciate you letting me push your uh, ME-109s around the table because you've done a great job painting those up. Uh, and it was nice to uh, play those against Chris, who isn't here to defend his virtual reputation so we can say terrible things about him uh, as he's uh, back up in Michigan today. But uh, th- those were just really, really nice miniatures. And uh, I thought we'd talk uh, for a little while tonight about the things that you had learned, what uh, what what techniques you really had to rely on, what te- techniques you had to learn from scratch, and maybe some things that you you really figured you didn't want to do. But I also wanted to concentrate on the fact that since you, like I, were coming from 40K and, and Horus Heresy, what were, uh, what were some of the things moving from that scale and those kind of painting techniques into Blood Red Skies? What was the first, first shock to you there? Uh, well, the biggest difference, I think, at that at that's smaller scale, you know, the need for you know, a lot of line highlighting and that kind of thing, I think is, is, you know, it's not as great. I, I think you can get away with a lot less than maybe what we were typically doing with shading and pre-shading and zenithal highlighting and line highlighting. I mean, all, all those things, I haven't really done any of that on the aircraft I've painted so far. Absolutely. And I think the thing that we're, I'm always quick to invoke is the three foot rule. You know, there's a, there's a point where if you can't see the detail from three feet away while you're playing the game, uh, I'm not really going to put it on there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So what were, were there anything, uh, any big surprises when you kind of walked in from 40 K going to the smaller scale, anything that you put on the first few models and then suddenly realized I really don't want to use that technique. Anything that was, was definitely a, a bad, uh, transfer of technique. Well, I, you know, the, the paints that I was using for, um, accuracy, were primarily airbrush paints, which are great to the airbrush. But when I was trying to paint straight lines for some of the Luftwaffe camo patterns, you know, doing that with a brush was just tedious. It wasn't hard. It wasn't impossible, but it just took a lot of coats. And right. at that right. scale, you know, it's not like it was a technique where I could easily mask a straight line on that small of an aircraft, you know. Whereas, you know, right. if it was a big, a big <laughs> model of a tank or something, masking and all that would be a fine thing to do with an airbrush, but that's not really happening at this small size. So for straight lines, masking anyway at this scale didn't really seem appropriate. I think we talked about this in for, like your um, your RF models, your Spitfire models, that sort of organic kind of camo pattern. You know, a little bit of silly putty or some blue tack works great. You can just hit it with airbrush and move on. Absolutely. Straight lines, yeah, not so much. So I was doing that. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's not hard, but it took a little longer, you know, to 
you know, multiple coats to get it to stand, stand up and look uh, okay. smooth. So that was kind of okay. a pain. Well, that's great, Brett. I know a lot of guys have experimented with using some of the smaller Tamiya tapes and some other things for straight lines, but we'll all have to uh, see how that works for each of our individual techniques and, and depending on the aircraft and the, and the paint scheme. So one of the things I really wanted to discuss was, you know, choosing the airplanes you chose to paint and matching them to a paint scheme. Because once again, if you buy the box set, it's, it's a little bit chosen for you as to what you're going to paint. But uh, what you choose to, to buy next and what you choose to work on next can sometimes drive your hobby frustration if you say, all right, I did a very basic model scheme on my ME109s. Now I want something with a little bit more drama. Uh, how'd you find that working out for you since I know you acquired a couple different kinds of aircraft? Yeah, well, I'll, yeah, I want to paint all the Luftwaffe aircraft. <laughs> so yeah. I've got some. I've got yeah, some you haven't set the bar very high there. You only have to paint all of them. Yeah, and I, I'm already like, uh, imagining painting multiple schemes, you know, for different theaters and stuff and different time frames, but uh, focusing on the you know kind of Battle of Britain time frame in you know, 1940. Uh, the, this is kind of one of the biggest things for me, maybe one of the biggest lessons learned. I don't know how it happened, but partway through painting my first batch of ME109s, I um, or BF109s, I found that I kind of got lost a little bit on the uh, on the the uh, paint schemes. I, and then uh, I went back and really I used Pinterest a lot to find a lot of color panels for aircraft for specific right. squadrons and stuff like that. I think what happened was I started painting aircraft in the way that I kind of imagined they must have looked around that time without any real true knowledge or research. And then I realized I kind of got off a little bit. And uh, when I started seeing color panels and then I was like, oh, wait, I want to paint this specific squadron. See, I, I didn't start with a plan. On, on the first batch, those 109s, I didn't start uh, with uh, the idea that I was going to do a uh, fifth stoffel of JG-26. It was after I discovered the, uh, you know, the decals and all the different, all the different uh, squadrons I could do based on decals that are available for that time frame, for that airframe, is when I was like, oh, man, I could do this squadron. So I had to kind of go back and change my scheme a little bit. And uh, so that's my first recommendation is, you know, if, if you really want to achieve a certain look. I mean, it doesn't matter if you just want to paint something that looks cool. That's great too. But if you want to try for some kind of accuracy, I'd say before you start uh, putting paint on a model, maybe see what's out there in terms of the kind of uh, squadron you want to do. And for me, what I did, that's not, I didn't have any great knowledge of all the specific squadrons that existed to where I was like, oh, I definitely want to do this squadron. I first found uh, through some sources, uh, I think primarily, um, uh, miscellaneous miniatures their their source for for uh, decals i found all the different squadrons and things that were available for the 109s for that time frame and then i just picked the one i thought looked the coolest and then i started doing a bunch of research from that point like okay if i do fifth stoffel 5jd26 what do those look like and, and you know with the internet and pinterest i can find tons of color panels for those aircraft specifically, and even some of the Osprey books, you know, Aces of the Aces of the 109s from, um, I guess, like the 1940 time period. It might be 1939 to 1941 or something. They have color panels for specific Aces, and I and I believe there's even uh, unit uh, aircraft uh, units of those aircraft. There's lots right, of different books right. like that. Anyway, those those Osprey books are just such great resources. I think uh, you know a lot of people would rather just go pull things off the internet for free, but I'll tell you, uh, between looking at the color panels that Osprey has and then reading a little bit of the background to 
to understand why you might want to paint specific aircraft or why you might want specific side numbers, tail letters, etc. I think uh, I think they're just an awesome resource. And to be honest, buy them on Kindle. They're they're nine bucks. So if you're really going to invest in um, in trying to make an authentic paint job, it's it's a great resource. Yeah, that helped me a lot. I ended up going back, kind of changing those 109s just a little bit to get them to uh, where I thought was pretty accurate. And then, of course, with the decals, I was able to, able to make them look, you know, really like a specific squadron out there. So that was fun. Right. Well, so when you chose to to kind of pick your paint schemes and, and work from there, what did you figure out about assembling your batch of paints? How uh, How easy frustrating or or was it kind of mission creep you know did you suddenly end up buying a lot more paints than you than you thought you needed oh no it didn't um i bought one one box of uh, vallejo colors for uh luftwaffe early war you know vallejo makes these i I can't remember what they're called maybe colors of war some jazzy name like that one of the boxes is in my craft room i should just grab it but anyway if you do a do any kind of internet search you'll find them surely but they have right. those the, the color match box sets for different time frames for different forces so it's not aircraft specific it's for the whole luftwaffe was the one i got for early war and so right. it had all the appropriate right. colors for all the different aircraft flown generally in that time frame and it has you know in the back of the box it has a cool little color panel for each of the aircraft suggesting which which colors were used and I just got that for the Luftwaffe, and it had everything I needed, so I didn't have to purchase anything else. I already had okay. a few yeah, other little good. things, like some um, uh, airbrush uh, varnishes, you know, matte varnish and gloss varnish and, you know, some blues that are appropriate for doing the, uh, doing the canopies and stuff from just, you know, painting I've done. Well, so let's let's talk about those blues because that's always a, a point of debate between you and Chris and I uh, as to you know what's the what's the appropriate uh, blue that we ought to be putting on there to contrast with our model. What what did you end up using? Or you can even say what did you start with, and then what did you end up using? Yeah, I ended up using some GW paints, and uh, you know what? While we're speaking, I can grab them. They're right here, just so I'm telling you accurately what the colors are. All right. Just pulling them out of my paint shelf here. So I started with a base of Calador Sky. And then I just um, highlighted up with uh, Teclas Blue and then Lotherm Blue. Okay. And uh, so it's three colors getting, you know, going from darker to lighter. And I changed my technique. Now that I'm working on these zeros, I, I really want to go a lot lighter on these canopies. At first, I thought what I was trying to do is just kind of reflect the color of the sky as i imagine it might have been in you know that particular theater and time frame or whatever you know, i'm thinking over the english channel maybe it's a little a little darker than over the pacific but um we you you were showing me when you were here some actual photographs of aircraft in flight and clearly the canopies appear much lighter so and, and i'm a little i'm more satisfied with the way the canopies look look on the zeros that i'm doing now that they're much lighter so i think my future canopies will be lighter. Um, in fact, right, uh, I'm right. highlighting up to another another uh, edge color. I think it's called Blue Horror. It's almost a bluish white. It's, it's very light. And uh, I will continue to do that same technique, but I think I might start with the techless blue, the layer color, and just not even start with the Calador Sky as a base. Just use that lighter, that next right. lighter shade as my base, and then highlight higher up almost to white. 
and, and use it broadly yeah. so that there's just a just a thin dark line around the where the canopy meets the fuselage but the rest a- of absolutely it yeah I, th- I think that was my biggest uh i don't want to say debrief because really it's your own uh your own paint scheme but looking at the two side by side i really liked how it was done on the zero uh a lot better than than on the uh me109s and me110s it just it seemed a little a little too dark too nightlike yeah, uh, I, I like it better that sky. way too. It was good. That was yeah. good feedback, and it you know it's yeah, I think, kind of figured it out as we go because it's I've never painted little one to two hundred. Yeah, well, and, canopies, and that's so. <laughs> that's why we're doing the podcast as well. So I, I bet there's plenty of people out there who uh, are painting the aircraft for the first time that that's the first time they've painted that small of an airplane before, and it's it's certainly different techniques and a lot different than painting say a warhammer 40k flyer where all of a sudden the canopy is almost larger than the airplane that we're painting right now so (laughs) if if you paint your canopies in 40k it's a lot different techniques you can necessarily can't uh can't have some of the smooth if anybody out there is listening and is is Um, familiar with painting from like you know fantasy line or you know sci-fi line or you know anything from gw or whatever my initial start on the canopy painting was to kind of do like a blue gem technique that you might be familiar with if you're doing those kind of models, but it, it, it was too dark. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of those things that it's, it's kind of a negative transference because we're used to seeing it on a very small piece of detail that isn't always the focus. It's just a piece of other detail. Uh, but those canopies kind of people really focus in on that part of the airplane. So it requires a little bit different, a little bit more contrast uh, than some other areas. It could, that uh, initial color choice I used would have been good on maybe night fighters. If you're trying to portray like yeah, absolutely. And it's absolutely. easy to fix. I could go back and easily just with, you know, in minutes really bring those up to a lighter, a lighter color. And it would be a very easy fix. I haven't bothered doing that, but. So, well, so let's talk uh, a little bit about the techniques you're using. Uh, Cause you obviously talked us through the canopies uh, and we, we kind of skirted around the camouflage a little bit and, and you know, how you were doing that. Uh, can you kind of walk us through start to finish either on a ME 109 or on, one of your zeros, uh, just the techniques you used um, to to get the results. Because if uh, listeners want to go out to our Instagram, they'll see uh, some images of your aircraft out there. They can also see them on our Facebook uh, and on our website. The gallery on our website obviously is not as uh, as full as the one on uh, Facebook. But if you're on looking on Facebook, you can go straight under there and look at uh, Brett's works in progress. It'll show all your aircraft uh, that we've got photos of, and and hopefully it'll help people kind of match the techniques uh, to what they're seeing there. But let's talk through an individual model. And let's say it's one of the ME 109s out of the box set, because a lot of our people will uh, will have those to paint and they'll have picked out the individual squadron or ace that they want to replicate. But walk us through your priming, your painting, your detailing, all the techniques that you take you right up to getting ready to put your decals on. Uh, and let us know how you did it for those ME 109s, because I think they look pretty spectacular. I think a lot of people would like to know uh, how you did it and how you made it uh, easier on yourself rather than painting a, a large aircraft at a small scale. Okay, yeah. Well, I did learn a lot, I think, by starting with those 109s. And I think my technique is continuing to improve on these as I'm learning a little better. But uh, I started on the 109s and I primed, well, first of all, before, before I even primed them, you know, there's a little prep work you have to do. I had to clean up the sprues, any mold lines, I removed those. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of that too, not as much as I thought I'd have, but a little bit on the Spitfires. Yeah, some of the wings on that on the 109s in that box set were a little wonky, so I did my best with the, with the hair dryer to kind of straighten them out. For the most part, I was successful. I, I didn't go farther than that. I know I could have 
you know, probably use some really hot water or, you know, even some more advanced techniques to really get the bend out of some of those. But I didn't go that far. I think just getting them generally straight was, you know, they, they looked okay. Um, but uh, so that was the first step was just getting the models clean and, and you know, getting any warped wings kind of straightened out as, as, you know, as good as I, as I was willing to. And uh, then I primed them with uh, Vallejo Surface Primer. Uh, the color I used was gray for the 109s. Pretty light. It uh, was probably about the same color as the bare plastic, but uh, I wanted to go light because I was going to airbrush with uh, light blue from the right. uh, that Vallejo uh, box set. It's uh, the Luftwaffe colors pre-war to 1941. And right. I had a similar uh, choice working with uh, my P51s because obviously uh, those prime up in gray nicely, um, and I'm using some lighter colors and obviously some metal. Uh, but there's a point where you go, how much primer did I really get on there? And thankfully, at least uh, the P51s were uh, were blue. So it was easy for me to tell <laughs> when, yeah. when those models took the right amount of primer. Some of the other models that have a darker base color, I, you know, I, I uh, was able to uh, prime with a darker color. And it was a little easier to tell from the bare model, bare plastic model. But yeah, so I... Yeah, I, my I, poor uh, hurricanes, you can't tell because they're they're gray and they got primed gray, so they're a little tough. Yeah, but yeah. but they're in the stripper because it was a bad priming job. But we'll talk about that later. That's right. I found it really uh, pretty easy with the. I used an airbrush for the primer application, and then I uh, airbrushed the bottom of the aircraft in the Hellblau from that Vallejo right. kit. So that's the bottom color, that light blue. Then I uh, simply flipped the models over, and uh, without masking or anything, I just. Um, airbrushed the uh, grow, the gray color, over the top surfaces of the whole aircraft. And uh, then I just went back with a little bit of uh, Hellblau or the grow, uh, yeah, the Hellblau or the grow, I guess I'm speaking in German here, but that's what they say on the bottles. And I uh, touched up any place where there might have been a little overspray or anything like that, but there really wasn't much. You know, I thought, oh my gosh, this is probably going to be a big mess, but it really wasn't. Just, um, you know, let the aircraft mask itself. I just sprayed at a 90 degree angle. top down and then you know the bottom bottom up so that uh the colors went where they're supposed to go very little overspray whatever there might have been i just touched up with the appropriate color then i you know and and i want to kind of just stop on that technique for a second because there may be people who say well these models are way too small to airbrush and i found it really easy with uh with getting upper and lower wing coats on and of course there's some places i had to go back and touch up around the nose and the tail of the aircraft but um it, it was actually pretty easy uh, to self-mask those uh, those areas by just painting the upper and lower surface. That's right. Well, plus I was batch painting too, so I was doing I was painting seven aircraft at one time, and right. uh, I had them the way I use. I use little wooden skewers. They're literally like barbecue skewers or shrimp skewers or something kebab skewers. I'm not sure what they're for, but I got them <laughs> at the grocery store, and I I trimmed them a little bit so they're not overly long. Stuck stuck the sharp end into a into a uh, cork a wine cork that was glued to a little plastic base so it could stand up on its own. And the other, the other end, the trimmed end, I just stuck into the bottom of the aircraft. So now they're, you know, they're like little 109 popsicles on my, on my paint desk. And if anyone wants to buy the properly sized Blood Red Skies, uh, lead Pursuit Podcast skewers will be selling them for eight ninety nine for a pack. <laughs> That's <website>. right. <laughs> now, <laughs> go out, find them at your local grocery store and cut them in half. They'll be good. That's right. Yeah, that worked out well. And, you know, I can set them around and, you know, paint on them and stuff pretty easy without touching the model. Or um, without sacrificing a Blood Red Skies uh, stand as Chris did. <laughs> oh, he, he did that. Okay. He did. And, and it worked out well. We'll, uh, we'll talk to him later about how he did his, his 
uh, might be a little more precise than ours, but I, I think I'm a fan of your wooden skewers over his sacrificing a stand. Yeah. Well, um, once I got those base colors on top and bottom, then it was just a little bit of brushwork. Now with the, with the one, really all the Luftwaffe aircraft, uh, for early war, at least they're, camouflage patterns or you know straight lines you know fractal pattern almost it's you right know, the you know thing I'm about. doing with a brush yeah so i i didn't i thought i thought i might be able to get away with you know masking and and laying those darker colors on but the size of the models you know they're so small masking really it, it just it, it didn't seem practical I'd did you have more, like the two mil to me a tape or any of those yeah, yeah and, and got, it still didn't work out okay yeah i've got some really small i have yet to try that I'll be honest, uh, but uh, watching somebody do it on YouTube and it actually turning out right are two different things a lot of times, at least for people of low skill like me. <laughs> yeah, I've got the stuff, but, it, you know, I started placing pieces of tape and, you know, that was my original intent was to, you know, mask it and spray so that the, the color, you know, the darker color would come out nice and smooth. But it was just so cumbersome and, I thought, you know, I'm going to spend a ton of time masking and correcting overspray so i just did it with a brush but that was kind of a pain because of course i'm using these airbrush paints so they're pretty thin so it was you know multiple coats that was just kind of a little drudgery you know monotonous multiple right. layers oh, well, well that's where i'll make a pitch for batch painting a minimum of two and i know sometimes people want to do unique ace aircraft and that's great but uh where i found batch painting two was convenient was i was also using vallejo airbrush paints and so when I was touching up overspray, it was really easy to touch up one model, set it to the side, go touch up the other one. And about the time I touched up the other one, uh, the first one was dry enough. It was ready for a second touch up coat in those areas because it did take me uh, in some cases two or three when I had some bad overpaints with black on my uh, engine nacelle detail. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes it took a couple coats of, of that paint to, to sufficiently cover where your mistakes were. I probably could have gotten more utility out of my airbrush on that step, especially for the yellow noses right. on the uh, on the front of the 109s, because uh, that's a pretty big section of the aircraft. I probably could have masked that with, um, you know, with some tape, like the Tamiya tape we spoke of, and then covering the rest of the aircraft in, in some simple uh, plastic wrap from the kitchen and just gone. If I was doing it over again, that's what I would do. I would have sprayed those noses because I, you know, not only was the yellow again, I, color from my airbrush kit but it's also yellow <laughs> so that's Come on, don't make coats. fun of imperial fist yellow it's the easiest color to paint that's what we tell all of our new joins right <laughs> but, uh, that was the that was the technique i used for getting all the colors on uh i had a little setback in that i was so eager to get painting that i just when i first started batch painting i was basically coloring or painting the color panels that was on the back of the paint set box right. for 109s but you know that doesn't exactly match the the squadron i ultimately wanted to paint after i found these cool decals and started ge geeking out over stuff i was finding in books so i had to go back and kind of change things a little bit but that's where we talked about you know if you start with a plan that kind of thing won't happen to you it wasn't a yeah, it, it shouldn't happen to you until you end up like me working on the wildcat and realize halfway through you want to change the color that's already on the underside of the airplane so right. <laughs> you may have planned it right and planned everything and then you just don't like how it turns out and you end up trying to paint a lighter color over a darker and that gold light gold gray goes on super thin so for anyone painting pacific theater get the undertone of your airplane right <laughs> the first time right so once i got all those colors on and at this point my 109s have uh 
all the undercolors, the yellow noses, the yellow tails were appropriate, and the um, the darker the darker green. I think it's called Grau. Um, actually, it's Ducal Green. The dark green, the dark green stripes and stuff in the right places. Once I've done all that, they're they're pretty much done. It's just time for a little bit of detail work. So uh, uh, I did the canopies. I think we talked about how I did right. the canopies, and you know, I'm still I'm still modifying that you know as i do a couple and see how they look i'm i'm progressively going lighter and i may even go back and redo the 109s and 110s to get that lighter look say it isn't so <laughs> yeah it might happen. Uh, that was one thing too talking about canopies that we didn't talk about before uh initially i glossed the canopies when i was done with them uh i don't know i'm i've, I've since gone back and put a uh a matte varnish on them but i might go back and gloss them up just to you know give that glass appearance i'm not sure we'll see but uh, all the colors you missed your calling as a nail painter. I just I want you to understand uh, yeah, that. Right. <laughs> all all the colors are on at this point, but I've done no weathering, no real details, and no right. Detail. So yeah, let's let's talk about that weathering. I mean, because once again, we get back to that three foot rule. You you can spend all day putting weathering, putting edge highlights, a lot of things you can do to bring out the detail. But what did you choose in the end to to help bring out the decal or the detail? Well, on the one hundred and nines, I did something that's probably not the most ideal method, but I think if you're careful, you can get pretty decent results. I think it's especially true if it's a generally light, I mean, a generally darker camouflage pattern, but I just took some basic um, acrylic, like a black varnish. Um, I, I used GW Null Oil. I used the gloss version. Right. And I washed the whole aircraft. And I know that's kind of blasphemy because an acrylic wash over the whole aircraft, especially this size, it could be, you know, you could get coffee staining. Well, uh, there's... There's a lot of people I've seen that have done that. I, I, I even did that on one of mine. Really didn't like the results. I mean, it looked like uh, the entire underside of the Spitfire was leaking oil. Mm -hmm. um, but but I also kind of struck a happy medium because when I did my Wildcat, I did uh, a lot more of that wash than I normally would. I didn't try to be super precise with it, knowing that I was going to go back and almost like a 40K miniature, uh, take my various layers and, and cover up some of that, uh, that overpaint, but leave some of it. Cause maybe, maybe there were some streaks created that I, that I really wanted to work off. Right. That's kind of what I did. So instead of like a traditional wash where I just slopped it on, I was actually very careful. Now I would load my, I would use a pretty big brush, like a typical wash brush and I'd get a, you know, healthy amount in loaded in the brush. I typically will, uh, dab a little extra off on a, on a, uh, paper towel I have next to me. Right. And then, and then I would brush from nose to tail, but, and I would move it so that it wasn't pooling. Now right. there's still going to be a little extra, you know, stuff that goes places, but you can move it for a little while before it gets real tacky and starts pulling up. So I was constantly moving it around while it was still flowing. Uh, and it, this can be, I find can be a little easier technique to do if you're doing it this way with, uh, thinning it a little bit with a little bit of water or maybe even some, um, some medium, Right, it, it, it uh, makes it a little, it keeps it wet a little longer, so it doesn't dry out. Because once it gets real tacky and you start to start just pulling it up, it it actually looks worse, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so that well, was and it also good. depends on the on the model. I, I'd have to go back and look at the 109s. The nice part of the of the Wildcat model was most of the detail lines were straight, so it really played well with that technique. Yeah. Uh, and on I the other side of the Spitfire, not so much. I found that Nuln Oil too is not terribly dark. Like, if I I don't I don't ever find it adequate for a panel liner on a like a GW size model. It's just not dark enough. Uh, it it seems to me like you put it down and it gets a little lighter as it dries. So 
uh, not to say that I went super heavy. I certainly was uh, not dipping the model, if you will. It wasn't coated yeah. that heavily. <laughs> exactly. I was being pretty careful, but I did coat. I did basically cover the entire model with gloss. So when it's done, the uh, panel lines have you know it just you know gives a little bit more contrast, and there's um, a gloss finish to it. Um, right. A little bit and, different and than I my usual. Technique. I think one thing we want to bring up is, and I know Chris ran into this problem looking at a few of his models. And it's not really a problem. It's just understanding your model is some models use recessed detail lines and some models use raised detail lines. And so the techniques you're going to use have to be a little bit different uh, to really call out that detail. Um, and if you if you expect a certain process to work on the Warlord plastic models, then you go over to the uh, to the Zvezda uh plastic ones that have raised detail lines and all of a sudden uh it, it just has to work out a little bit differently right after i and did it, that gloss with no oil i i um got a little bit of black ink and i watered it down just a little bit and used that in places where i really right. wanted a black line to really stand out i think there was between the nose and the spinner there's a little groove yeah. that i wanted that to stand out no oil <laughs> wasn't up to that task but that, that worked out pretty good that's, that's pretty much it for the details and it was on the decals after that Okay. Normal, awesome. Normally, when I do decals, I will do all the painting, um, and generally do whatever kind of weathering I'm going to do. I didn't really do a lot of weathering specifically, like I didn't do paint chips or anything like that on these aircraft. Didn't do anything of that nature. Um, just the just that contrast a little bit with those panel lines, like we talked about. Right. Then right. Um, I usually uh, spray the whole model with a varnish, a gloss varnish. And it just helps me with the decals and stuff. On these 109s, I didn't do that. I thought, well, you know, let me just try it without that because I've got this gloss. That's why I used a non oil gloss. And I figured since I went all over with it, I already kind of had that glossy kind of texture. It helps with the decals sticking really uh, nice and to a nice smooth surface. You don't see the see the the decal that much, right? Right. This is a technique I've used. But usually, though, I use a whole separate gloss coat. Uh, I didn't really do it exactly that way but all the decals went on fine after i put the decals on i use a com i use i, I use micro um micro set to get them to kind of soften a little bit right. once they're dry you know just from water put them on i'll put i'll go over with micro set once that's dry i'll go microsol sometimes i'll use the microsol a couple times and i find that just helps the the decals sort of shrink and melt into the details a little bit like the little panel lines absolutely and, um, yeah, and sometimes even after that stage is done and the microsol is done, I'll go back in with my thumb and just press on the decals. You know, they kind of get soft, I think, from that microset and microsol. And I don't do this when they're wet because they're really easy to to mess up. And I certainly don't want to put a thumbprint in them. But once it's you know pretty dry or totally dry, I've come back the next day to do this. I'll I will uh, intentionally press on all the decals. So if I've got a big cross on the side of the fuselage i'll press on that pretty hard with my thumb and i find that that little bit of pressure pushes it down into those panel lines in case it hasn't already just kind of on its own melted in there and uh, i find that that's usually the last thing i need to do to yeah get those that's, things to really that's something i'll have to look at because uh i'll be honest it was inconsistent on my aircraft as to whether the uh the decals really got uh, melted down and into the panel lines uh, and and I'm just so used to not putting any pressure on a decal or touching a decal 
uh, until after I've already uh, put a matte varnish over the top of it. Mm-hmm. So I I did not do that, um, and uh, and I may need to go back and look at that because I, I had a couple decals that uh, did not sit well. Some of them also lifted a little, just a very small amount. I think it's because I did not use the gloss coat. Uh, to be quite honest, I looked at them like ah, it's good enough. These decals will set, and and they didn't set perfectly. So just right. a little more adherence to proper technique on my part would help. I find that uh, sometimes, I'll, most often when I'm doing decals, even after I do all this, uh, you know, the, the gloss varnish, the microset, microsol pressing on the decals, once all that stuff's done and everything's good and dry, I'll hit it again with another gloss coat to seal everything in. I find that that last gloss coat will um, keep the edges of the decals looking nice and clear so you don't get that kind of foggy appearance. And right, right. once all that's done, then I go back over, and the final step is the matte, the matte coat. Right. I use either Tester's Dull Coat out of a can, or I'll just use AK Interactive's uh, Ultra Matte Varnish through my airbrush, depending on you know how big a size. You want know, to do like one or two aircraft, I'll just use a spray can, because I can do that pretty easily. But if I'm you know doing seven or more models, like these little airplanes, I'll, I'll just fire up the airbrush and do them all at once that way. I find that that gives me the pretty best results on the, on the decals overall. And they, they came yeah. out pretty good on the on the 109s. Good. Well, how'd you find the uh, specifically like the AK interactive uh, varnish going through your airbrush? Does it uh, does it go through pretty pretty well straight out of the the bottle, or did you have to mix it down a little bit to get it to go on evenly? Yeah, I just shake it really well. Put an agitator on my bottles, and I just shake it really well before I add it. And then I always, no matter what I'm putting through the airbrush, it's true even with the varnishes. I'll put a few drops of um, uh, th- airbrush thinner in my uh, paint cup and then I, then I add the varnish I do, I do the same process whether it's paint varnish whatever I'll put a few drops of airbrush thinner in the cup I'll then add my paint or my varnish then I use an old crappy brush I keep in my airbrush airbrush booth and I stir everything up in the cup and then I back backfill it yep. and I'll spray yep. off to the model like onto my glove to make sure everything's looking right and then I'll spray onto the model yeah but that technique yeah. it flows great I've never had any problem cleans up easy I mean, it's made for an airbrush, I think. I've brushed with it too, but yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty yeah, much I, right out of the bottle. I just tried the uh, Vallejo uh, Mecca matte uh, airbrush varnish, and it was okay. Uh, I just found I had to thin it more than I expected I had to, um, because I'll be honest, their, uh, their paints, I haven't thinned at all. I have sprayed directly with them, and they've been working great. Um, but uh, I found I had to just, you know, work a little bit on that one uh and then it went on fine well you know i wanted to tell you something about the 109s it's true too of the 110 something i did differently than i would typically do and it's something i did differently in my with my zeeks because of the colors uh is the way i did my panel lining so i already described how you know basically carefully washed the um the whole aircraft with uh, null oil for the 109s i did something similar with the 110s although i was a little bit more careful with just the paint you know uh, putting it in the panel lines after it already had a gloss coat on it. And I, but I just used normal. Well, no, that's not true. I use, I use some, um, some ammo by MIG, I think, uh, panel liner for my 110s. But anyway, on the Zeeks, I used, um, you know, oil-based panel line wash. Right, But right. that whole aircraft, top and bottom, is one color, right? It's a light <laughs> color. And uh, I used, I had to experiment a little bit because I was concerned because that. I didn't want the contrast to be too great. In fact, I think the first color I used was too too dark. On the, it just didn't look right. It was overdone. The panel lines were overdone because there's a lot of detail, a lot of deep panel lines. 
mold for the Zeeks. Uh, but I kind of stepped down a little bit to a lighter, uh, a lighter panel line color, but it was an oil-based panel line wash. Now, at this point, the plane is all covered in varnish, so it's got that nice smooth finish. And that capillary action, you just kind of dip a fine brush with some of that, some of that oil-based varnish into those panel lines, and it kind of paints itself, if you will. It's not exactly that easy, but it's pretty easy. But then anywhere where maybe it got a little, it flowed a little over the panel lines onto the actual, you know, wings a little bit. Then I just went back with the original color and just touched up. And it, it gives kind of a neat appearance. If you look really closely at my Zeeks, you'll see that some of the little square panels, like the wing portions, are slightly different color. And I think it gives a little bit of realism that you don't, you don't really notice until you get really close to the aircraft. Because, you know, little pieces and panels are going to get replaced as aircraft maybe take some damage that's kind of the right. narrative i'm thinking of <laughs> so even though it's the same base color i used the finish comes out a little bit different because now it's an, an additional coat on top of what i've already airbrushed so maybe it looks a little bit darker it's it's barely noticeable unless you really scrutinize the aircraft but little square panels on the aircraft have subtle color variations and that's just from where i went through and was touching up and then painted that whole square in uh that was something i could get away with doing that kind of thing because the Zeeks are all one color, not so right. much on the on the 110s or the 109s because, you know, they have multiple colors in their camo pattern. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, some other people may be wondering is, you know, is there is there any uh, utility to changing up the actual styles and, and paint brands of the washes and, and some of the tone that you're putting on there? And I think there is, just like you talked about using uh, those MIG inks for certain things. Uh, I use Army Painter a lot, and I use Strong Tone on mine because I knew I wanted kind of a dirt look to my uh, to my Wildcat because it it was Cactus Air Force there on Guadalcanal uh, at Henderson Field in a in a thoroughly uh, dusty and, and terrible environment. Um, but I think you really got to kind of experiment with it a little bit, and don't be afraid to have to go back and and redo the work on on that lead airplane that you started painting uh, until you really get a, an understanding of how it looks at that scale. Um, because things that I th was used to using uh, for a 28 millimeter Space Marine out there and, and how I wanted to show dirt and dust and stuff, uh, that just kind of disappeared at three feet on these models. So if I used like a soft tone, could barely even notice the difference. And I think you probably ran into that a little bit with your uh, uh, pistachio colored uh, zeros, as we'll call them. That's right. Yeah, I had a, the first one I tried some different things on the panel wash and I ended up changing it because it was it just wasn't right. And I settled on, you know, something that looked better. But like you said, yeah, practice on one and see what looks right because at this scale, I guess, it makes some it makes different, you know, what yeah, would it work really on does. It. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to to walk through these uh these different steps with us because I think there's a lot of people out there uh, who've picked up a box set. They know generally uh, what the the Battle of Britain paint jobs look like, but it's the question of how do I start and, and not screw it up. Although I'll be the one to tell you that these plastic models survive perfectly fine in a bucket of stripper. And I use purple power from Walmart. So uh, that stuff uh, won't eat your plastic and it works perfectly fine. And it's allowed me to salvage uh, a couple of my hurricanes and, and one of my uh, mosquitoes that I did a, a conversion on uh, that I'll have to start all over again, but that's all right. Um, well, so one last thing, uh, covering some of the the lessons we've learned, you know, what what are the things you took away that you're definitely not going to do again, uh, or if you if you have a chance to provide a warning out to the rest of the community to people picking up the box set and starting up, what's kind of your hot button thing uh, 
that you've learned didn't work that you want to make sure everybody else knows? Uh, well, I, I felt it most acutely with my 109s because I just started painting and I was kind of following the, the box art on the back of the the, uh, the paint kit I had. And I, it could have saved myself a little bit of time if I had first started with uh, some of the color, color panels in the Osprey books or, you know, just kind of perusing uh, one of the uh, websites for the guys that are selling tons of one to 200 scale decals. Right. So right. I could have landed, you know, on the proper color scheme for those guys. That, that's the <laughs> biggest lesson learned for the one. And then, you know, now that I'm doing more, like the whole thing with canopies we talked about, I really want to lighten up my canopies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think for me, a lot of it is just learning the scale. I mean, there, there's, if I could lump all of my mistakes into one thing, it's these aren't 28 millimeter space Marines. So, uh, they're going to acquire different techniques and, and they're not even 28 millimeter, uh, vehicles, Imperial guard vehicles or anything that's going to be dusty, dirty, uh, well-worn in a world war II like environment. Um, the techniques are very different and, and sometimes it's a little more forgiving. Uh, sometimes, uh, just with the, the level of detail on the model, it, it calls out the contrast when you make a mistake. So, um, oh yeah. You know, I thought of something when we were talking about decals, right. For Luftwaffe anyway, there's different size crosses. Right. And, uh, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty easy to get mixed up. Like, okay, two crosses go on the top, two crosses go on the bottom cross <laughs> each on the side of fuselage. Right. But they're bigger crosses on the bottom. Oh yeah. So be, be aware of that as you're cutting out your decals, the bigger crosses it's go on the same, bottom of the wings. <laughs> same issue with roundels. So I'll, I'll warn the, the RAF, uh, modelers out there that certain aircraft have different roundels on the top than what you see for the Spitfire. So if you say, yeah, I'll just use my uh, standard decals for, for a recce configured uh, Spitfire, eh, the roundels are different. Uh, and also, you know, kind of more importantly, uh, those changed over the years. So uh, if, if you suddenly find yourself um, in a pinch with decals, uh, not all the roundels were the same size, same color combinations, et cetera. Now, obviously, uh, we're going to sp probably spend almost an entire episode talking about decals here soon. Uh, there's a lot of places to get them out there. So uh, I, I kind of still fall under the uh, the three-foot rule that get them as close as you can. We're not building a 148th scale or 172nd scale model of an airplane, uh, but get them close and, and get them to where it looks looks good. Um, but, you know, I don't think the community is the kind of people who are going to look at the, uh, the roundel on the wing of your Spitfires and go, oh, no, I'm sorry, that overlaps way too much of the aileron out there. There's no way they would have painted it that big. Yeah, I've got some more thoughts on decals that might help. Maybe we'll save that for a future episode. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk tonight. It's always good to uh, catch up again, and hopefully we will be uh, starting to play a few more games, especially as uh, now the pre-order for MIG Alley is out there. I know I'm pretty excited to uh, get some work done on some F-86s, and uh, since you, by default, have become our uh, North Korean player, uh, I'm sure there's some MIG-15 paint jobs ahead for you. Um, but, uh, I think that's going to be interesting and I look forward to getting a chance to play that hopefully here in about a month or so, and at least, uh, tell the listeners out there what our first thoughts are, uh, cause it looks like it's going to be, uh, pretty different than, uh, the rest of the game system. Yeah, it should be fun. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you very much. And it's always good to talk to you. We'll talk to you later.